Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZN Privacy Experts. The podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So, whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy, or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. and welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila and I'm a data privacy analyst at KZN Privacy Experts. With me today as my co-host is Jamal Ahmed, Fellow of Information Privacy and CEO at KZN Privacy Experts. Jamal is an astute and influential privacy consultant, strategist, board advisor and Fellow of Information Privacy. He's a charismatic leader, progressive thinker and innovator in the privacy sector who directs complex global privacy programs. Considered by his peers and clients to be one of the UK's preeminent privacy experts, he has the credibility and gravitas to engender confidence. He's a sought-after commentator, contributing to the BBC, ITV News, Euronews, Talk Radio, The Independent, and more. His Privacy Pros podcast reaches audience in over 100 countries and is ranked the number one privacy podcast in the world and one of the top three GDPR podcasts. He works with global clients across multiple sectors and jurisdictions, partnering with boards and C-suite teams. He debates constructively, challenges rigorously, questions intelligently and advises pragmatically. Alongside exceptional excellence and qualifications, he adds value by providing pertinent insights, bringing alternative perspectives and triggering healthy debate. Hi, Jamal. Hey, Jamila. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm so excited to speak to today's guest with over 10 years experience at Google. So tell us more about Jad. Yes. Uh, so delighted to welcome Jad Boutros. Uh, Jad is a seasoned leader in software development, security and privacy. He spent nine years on Google's information security team and led security for social products. From there, Jad became Snap Inc.'s first chief security officer, creating programs for security, privacy engineering and spam and abuse from the ground up. Early in his career, Jad recognized that developing meaningful defenses takes time and resources and decided in 2018 to create a tool that would address those challenges. He and Chris partnered to launch TerraTrue and Jad holds a bachelor's degree in computer engineering from McGill University and a master's in computer science from Stanford. Welcome, Jad. Thank you for joining us. Jamila and Jamal, it's so great to be on your podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Um, and as we always do on the podcast, we always start off with an icebreaker question, something not related to privacy at all. So, Jad, what's the best compliment you've ever received? <laughs> One of the m most interesting ones I've gotten actually from colleagues is, is around being a charismatic lead. leadership, particularly in security and privacy. It's important to have that influence, that connection, that ability to listen yeah. Uh, to the needs of those around you and to meet them. And really, that meant a lot to me and, and I appreciated it. That's great. Yeah. Jamal, what's the best compliment, compliment you've ever received? Um, I was worried this is going to come to me next. I don't actually know off the top of my head what the best compliment I received is. But I do tell you what makes me really uh, happy and warm inside is 
when people I look up to and people I aspire to, uh, they come back and said, I've inspired them in some way, or they found something I did really great. Uh, mm-hmm. That really makes me feel really humble. And uh, it just makes me feel so grateful to be able to do what I do. Nice. I think my, the best compliment I get is I have three younger siblings who are teenagers and teenagers are so mean and they think I'm the least coolest person in the world. So whenever they say that something I did was cool or they'll let me meet them after school in front of their friends, that's the best compliment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. No offense right. to any teenagers listening. <laughs> right, so this is Jeff, way cooler. I'm really interested um, to learn a little bit more about your actual career journey. How did you first get into privacy engineering and you know how, what, what was life like going through university and getting into your first role and how did you end up at google and do what you did there for nine whole years thank you for that it's sort of I've, I've been working in tech for well over 20 years now and i worked at a startup in the early 2000s really at the height of the dot-com bubble mm-hmm. where it turns out that security was very important to them they sort of asked their users to give them all their usernames and passwords for all their accounts online, which today is a little bit, you know, of a crazy concept, but it's still powered by a lot of uh, financial institutions like Mint for the purpose of showing you on one, in one single place, all your transactions, your bank accounts, your 401ks, your brokerage accounts, all of that in one single view. So you don't have to go hunting for your information. And it turns out they had a lot of security needs. They were selling this product to banks and financial institutions. And those, those required code audits for security, penetration tests, and others. When I joined that startup, I had already taken one single cryptography class at Stanford. This was with a brilliant professor uh, in cryptography. His name is uh, Dan Bonnet. And I really, really enjoyed that class. And just by having taken that one class, it positioned me to take on roles at that startup where I dealt with data protection, encrypting data at rest, encrypting it during transit, and essentially thinking about security. And so I started getting involved in penetration tests that were happening against the company, broadening my knowledge of that space and that area. And it made me you know, valuable enough that when Google was looking for security application security engineers i was just interesting enough to them and i joined google at the in 2004 when the whole security team at google had fewer than 10 engineers now today it's in the many many thousands and so it was a really unique opportunity to join early stage and and from there i had the chance to co-found the team at google that did security reviews at scale across all of Google's products. So we built a process, um, myself and, uh, and my colleague, we built together this team and we started a process to work with all the developers across Google and say, look, we want to help you launch safely. We wanna review your code, your designs for security before you ship them. And we wanna help defend the company's code base against security attacks. So building all sorts of defenses. And I did that over nine to um, over nine years, taking increasing leadership roles, also spreading my wings a bit in building an M&A program for security and privacy, as well as vendor management due diligence for that. So it gave me a little bit of a wider perspective on security. Um, and then 
the sort of I became responsible for all of social products at Google for security and how they interacted with the rest of the company. And then one day on CNN's main page, I read about this startup called Snapchat. It had made it to CNN's homepage because of a security issue. And within a few weeks of that, uh, they reached out. They, they recognized that they had a, um, you know, they needed to start a security team. Um, I was a good, you know, target because of the work I did on social at Google. And so I joined and started um, basically uh, a team for application security, but also for spam and abuse and for privacy on the engineering side. I was supposed to be just responsible for security, but just on day one, they added these other roles for me. And I'll tell you this, you know, uh, <laughs> if this was today, there's no way I would have accepted to also manage spam and abuse. Like you're seeing it all over the news now with, you know, how much bots do you have? How much abuse do you have on different platforms? Um, but at the time I was a bit more naive. I thought, you know what, there is a good angle. Spam yeah. and abuse is very tied to security and privacy. This is a scrappy startup. We're starting from scratch. Let me take this on. And it was a very much learning opportunity as well to understand the intersection of all those fields and to be able to have a cohesive message across all of them. And uh, sort of did that for, for four years, got to work very closely with uh, the general counsel at SNAP, whom you met last week, who is now my co-founder at Teratrue. Uh, we work together on privacy a lot and sort of, I'll tell you more about the, the, the foundation of TerraTrue, but really it was about solving challenges and problems we've encountered in very clear ways at Snapchat and before that at Google and wanting to solve for them and help or other organizations raise their security and privacy bar without the same friction and effort and sort of left Snapchat, uh, took a bit of time off unusually. So just to think about what's next and just decided to start a, a new company and very, very excited. It's been four and a half years. I'm the CEO there, just watching the company grow, our customer base grow, and just feeling that we're part of solving uh, real needs in the privacy and security space. Wow. What a career. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for walking us through that, Jad. It sounds like you have such depth and breadth of experiences and um, Stories, I'm sure, that has really helped you to get to where you are now. But that's also helped you to understand the, your clients or your customers' problems before they even know they might have this problem and be able to eliminate that. And we spoke to Chris on, on, on a recent podcast, and he was talking about this shift left um, principle or mindset that you guys have and you bring and how useful that is. And we'll jump onto that in a second. Could you explain a little bit more, Chad, about why for us to have success over security, for us to have data protection, that's security and privacy, both teams need to work uh, together? Oh, you know, that's, that's a great question. The, the way I sort of look at it, and again, different organizations draw the line differently between security and privacy. It isn't black or white. For some organizations, certain efforts they do fall under privacy and others they fall under security. There is a bit of that gray area overlap. But as you said, you're absolutely right. It is two sides of the same coin. And the way I think about it is, you know, security tends to be about protecting a company's applications, products, and infrastructure from risk, 
from people being able to access it, doing things that they're not supposed to do, extract information, inject information, delete data, steal data. Security is about protecting that foundation and preventing cases where someone does something that they're not supposed to do on your environment. And if you look at it from that definition, you cannot have privacy if there isn't security. So if your company doesn't have a good enough security program, there is no way they can be good at privacy because someone will find a way to get into the data, into your systems, extract it, and basically compromise everything about that user's data. Uh, and so it's a bit more foundational in the sense that you need to have it. There's just no question about it. Privacy comes on top and is about uh, a number of things there around respecting the laws, making sure that you are complying with all the different regulations. You're also a, um, respecting the, the user's expectations about what data you're using, how you're using it. And that makes it more fungible, much more, in a way, much less black and white because privacy changes over time. What users expect of how you build the product and what you can do on that product is evolving over time. So privacy has to be thinking about what does the user think I'm doing? Am I crossing any line for them? Am I respecting the way I'm using that data? And then, of course, how am I sharing the data? Is it, is it sharing with consent from the user? Am I collecting data under the right legal basis? And am I handling it in the way that I say I am handling it? So privacy goes on top of security and opens up a slew of other considerations, thinking it's, again, very, very multidisciplinary. And so I just think about them along those lines myself. Okay, that's super insightful. And the other challenge I want to ask you about is what happens or what could go wrong when you have privacy teams and security teams working um, in isolated environments? <laughs> um, honestly, uh, a bit of a recipe for disaster because, you know, and, and I've lived this, this is not hypothetical. Um, you know, security teams care about giving advice to developers and product teams that helps build software that is safe. Privacy teams care about giving advice to those same constituents, the developers and the PMs, to build products that take privacy into consideration and are, uh, and are adhering to user expectations and different regulations. Those two things are both meaningful and important, but it's also very, very possible that developers get conflicting advice from those teams. Just because security is looking at security, privacy is looking at privacy. So security tells you, you should build your product this way, and then you'll be safe. Privacy tells you, you should build it this way, and that way privacy is, is preserved. But really, when you're having those conversations in isolation of one another, you're, as a developer or as someone who's building a product, you're sort of stuck in the middle because often you get advice that is correct for each area, but isn't correct, isn't most efficient on a more large scale. And so what we are seeing, what we've seen before, what we continue to see today is that often when you're doing anything new at your company, the privacy team asks you, please do these reviews using this tool, work with us. Security team tells you, please do these reviews using this tool, this process, work with us. 
And often you get stuck in the middle. You're like, I can't continue. I'm literally getting conflicting advice. And then you have to bring those teams together to think with you about a third solution, one that satisfies both security and privacy. And it's not bad. It just results in unnecessary friction, in unnecessary delays, because what you want at the end of the day, you want as a developer or product person, you want to ship your software. You want to release this feature. You want to move on to the next thing. And when you're sitting there and arbitrating between those different teams, you just, you're deadlocked. It takes a lot of a toll on you. You have to bring in and reevaluate things. So this is one of the things we cared about with TerraTru and we're seeing it um, put to good use, which is one tool where you conduct all of your reviews and collaborate with all those teams at the same time. So they're all part of the same conversations, the same discussions and coming together with you on a common solution. And it removes just a lot of friction. And we can talk more about TerraTrue as well in that context. Yeah, yeah. You can tell us a little bit more. We spoke to Chris and he, he did a really good job in explaining how you can really employ TerraTrue in your uh, enterprise to really help to get rid of those inefficiencies and stop duplicating all of that work. And you have one single source of truth that really helps the business to understand what's going on and take care of those privacy and security considerations. Jan, what have you seen has been the biggest benefit to your clients that are using TerraTrue that they might not be achieving or they might not be enjoying without TerraTrue? Well, first, thank you so much for that context. You said it better than I would, to be honest. Um, the situation is this. Privacy reviewers, whether they're privacy engineers, so reviewing for technical aspects of privacy, or whether they're privacy lawyers, uh, reviewing for compliance with the laws, best practices, privacy policies, and all of those considerations. Those teams are historically um, understaffed and overwhelmed. They're very hard to hire, um, which is why organizations just basically always feel that those teams are getting in the way. And they are, and so one reframe you know, anyone who's worked in privacy has undoubtedly heard over and over and over again, um, privacy teams are putting barriers. They're obstructing our ability to innovate. They're slowing things down. And um, sort of one rebuttal to that is to think about privacy, not as slowing you down, but rather helping you build bigger and stronger breaks so you can move faster. And the, the idea of TerraTrue is really exactly that. It gives you a stronger foundation so you can move faster. And the way it does that is through um, scaling the way you think about reviews within an organization. Up until TerraTrue, when you're doing reviews, and by the way, those reviews are now mandated um, since GDPR you know, took effect in 2018, there is a, a large component of that privacy regulation about doing privacy by design. And that's really the, the notion that you have to include privacy considerations early on in the way you build product, not as an afterthought. You have to be thinking about risks, identifying risks, addressing risks as you're building products. And TerraTrue does exactly that. It helps you bring in the privacy lawyers, the privacy engineers, any reviewer, security reviewers as well, 
into the way you build software so that they can be involved early on, give you better advice, so you don't waste time designing for the wrong things and then have it be corrected later. You're there, you get the advice, the recommendations quickly, you can move on with the way you're designing and building software more intelligently. And you know, if you're doing reviews just once a month, you don't need TerraTrue. Where TerraTrue really gets interesting is when you want to scale up your privacy program and your security program. You want to start reviewing more and more functionality to raise your, the level of your privacy posture and security posture. When you start scaling, you realize very quickly the tools that are out there are just horrible. Like really, you put in a lot of work, you get very little re uh, value out of them. With TerraTrue, we help you make your reviews count better, be more valuable, be more consistent, remove human error, inconsistent advice from review to the next, and generate automatically for you assessments for privacy, records of processing activity that you need to demonstrate you are thinking about privacy and reduce the friction and collaboration between all these different teams, act more quickly and more intelligently on what the laws are asking you to do. So you get that information early on and you build for it early on. And that's really the power of TerraTrue. We, we distill privacy laws into very clear recommendations that are actionable to the work you're doing, not just general checklists and advice. We're giving you targeted advice based on exactly what feature you're developing. And that helps you do the right thing from the get-go, save on wasting any effort, collaborate better, mitigate risk better, and launch more safely, and just help innovate, help the company innovate faster. One, of the, one thing I really love about TerraTrue is it's really in line with the kind of ethos that we have is we need to move beyond compliance to inspire trust, cultivate that confidence so we can make a bigger impact. And by bringing um, all of those teams together to collaborate, you're actually cultivating that trust within the team, within the organization. Yes, we're all on the same page. You're inspiring that confidence. We know it's all been taken care of. And we don't actually have to go and disrupt the business by asking them the same question two times, three times, four times, and them getting sick of giving the same responses. Or we just had this conversation. So you're able to really bring everyone together and get a lot more effectiveness and get, helps you with that competitive advantage. Because not only have you made sure you've captured whatever you need to do from a legal point of view, but forward-thinking businesses, they've actually signed up to the fact that, you know, privacy is, is something that we can actually use as a competitive advantage moving forward. And that's why you see the biggest companies in the world that spend millions of dollars on research promoting privacy as their selling point. So it's great to see you actually being able to support those forward-thinking companies who actually have realized, hang on a minute, there, 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 there's lots of great things to have from this. Not only can we protect our users, manage their expectations, and uphold that trust with their personal information, but we can also make sure internally we've got our teams collaborating so we're moving forward in the same direction rather than these two teams going off on their own things and then having blockage later down the line and realize, hang on, they won't work and somebody needs to compromise and no one's willing to compromise and these lot want to hate them and them lot want to have a war with them and you can't walk down the corridor without getting a missile thrown at you. So, yeah, this is this is, this is really great stuff. Um, Chad, what I want to um, ask you about, when you're hiring privacy technologists, when you're hiring privacy engineers, what are the kind of skills, what are the kind of qualities that you're looking for 
And when you hired people in your roles at Snap, at Google, and you grew such massive teams, what is it that stood out about candidates that attracted you to say, yes, I want you on my team? When we're interviewing for colleagues to come in and be, do privacy reviews, it's really a, around a few things. One, you empathy is incredibly important, right? You're working with the whole company. Anyone in the company can ask for a privacy review. It could be HR, sales, engineering, um, finance, marketing, any team. And so your ability to understand their timelines, to understand their needs, to be creative about, around solutions, because the last thing you want to... Basically, there are two horror cases for a privacy team. One is to be rubber stamping because you're not doing the company any favor. If you just look at anything and say, yeah, that's fine, no problem, go ahead, you're doing a disservice on the long run. The other one is if you're constantly delaying work or obstructioning work, that's really horrible. So having that empathy to say, I want to see from the business perspective what the issues are, and I want to help you come up with solutions that allow you to move quickly but also do the right things at every step of the way. And I think that's important. Your ability to communicate, to understand, to sympathize, and to grasp what folks are building so you can give them solutions that help them do what they want to do and prevent the cases where it's abusive, where it's unexpected, and all of that. The other aspect is really learning on the job. Because, again, you, uh, as much as you've been exposed to it previously, when you join an organization, it has its own assumptions about what is high risk, what things you should do, what things you shouldn't be able to do. And coming in with the passion, not just to find the problem, but to be part of the solution. I'll give you a simple example about why that's, you know, why that's important. When I joined Snapchat, it literally took me, I was the first security person they hired. So I spent the first three days reviewing all of their code base, the whole backend systems, mobile apps, Android, iOS. I reviewed all the code. I looked at it. It took me three days. From that three days, I found enough issues that I knew would consume the next several years. Finding the problems was easy. I'm not going to say it's trivial, but it's easy. Solving that problem is much harder because that's where you have to collaborate with others you have to advise them on better ways to do things and be there with them at every step of the way. Developers have limited time. If you're not building yourself defenses and hardening frameworks that they can use easily, conveniently into the way they develop, you're not doing anyone a service. So that takes a toll on you as well. You have to be, if you're giving advice to teams and say, please do this or please do that, if you're not willing to help them at every step of the way with how to do it and how to do it right, it's just pointless advice. So really, it's important to feel that not only can you identify problems, but yes, you can sit down, design, develop, build frameworks, build hardening solutions, and offer it to them that they can use in the way they're used to, to developing. So it doesn't feel like I'm going to go way out of my way to do something for you. And that's really important, the confidence of being part of the solution, not just the problem. Um, I think those are some of the really the key things because you're constantly learning and growing and that potential to drive and, and own is really important.
Thank you, Jad. That's been super insightful. So what you're saying, um, and the three things I took away from that more than anything else was number one is the empathy, making sure you have that empathy for the people that you're working with. Secondly, yeah. having the passion to be part of the solution. And thirdly, is to really understand your colleagues, understand the rest of the business and not tell them what to do, but show them how we can achieve what we need to achieve together and be fully right. invested in the end outcome. I think that's the way it works, you know, Any, and that's the shift left. That's the power of shift left movement. If you think of privacy purely as a compliance play, there's nothing wrong with compliance, but you're missing a big part of the picture. To improve an organization's privacy posture, you have to build defenses. You have to build solutions. And if you're not set up as a company to do that, then you're just you're ultimately set up for failure. You get into an organization that is very mature and suddenly you, you realize you have very lax controls and it's very, very hard to pull them on top afterwards. You have to do this thoughtfully from the get-go. And that's really privacy. That's really security. That's really um, the importance of collaborating, uh, together identifying risks, together solving for them, not everything is an emergency. Not everything has to be solved right away, but recognizing those patterns. That's why it's important to do privacy by design, to do these assessments, but also to learn from them and to build stronger foundations so you don't constantly encounter the same problem over and over again. Mm, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, Jad, we've spoken about so many things. We've spoken about your background. We've spoken about history. We've spoken about what you look for when it comes to hiring. Um, I have one final question for you before Jamila is going to ask you to give me a question. And my final question to you is, what three pieces of advice would you have given to your younger self 20 years ago if you could meet them now? Oh, that's, that's an amazing question. Uh, three pieces of advice? Yeah, your three top tips that you would give to your younger self to really yeah. excel in this industry. Look, there is one, you know, right on top of, of mind, and I think people have to be cognizant of it. There is, you know, burnout that you hear often in privacy and security teams, right? It's sometimes very frustrating to work with the, with the entire organization to adapt to people's styles and the way they do things. It takes a lot of cognitive load on you, and sometimes you're not being acknowledged, you're not seeing the results of your work. One of the things I would say is if you're in a leadership role, understand more quickly um, what's your tipping point because and start to think about how you would hire ahead of time. It takes a long time to hire. One person cannot do everything. Set expectations that are sane because there is this tendency to overburn yourself, overwork yourself, and really, you're not doing anyone any favors. It doesn't help your career. It doesn't help others around you. It's always better to do less, but structure it in a way that leaves you buffer. Um, yes, it might feel that the company is more exposed to certain risks, but at the end of the day, having that quiet peace of mind, that creativity to think and to want to cooperate and collaborate with others trumps the extra value you can get from doing more work. So if I were to go back in time, I've certainly worked very hard all of my life. And this is a pattern that is not unique to me. 
recognizing more quickly where I reached my limits and building structure to prevent sort of uh, to prevent getting into that territory where you're very, very frustrated and just annoyed and you take it on on people you work with always, always wins on the long run. So that's sort of one that I think about a lot. The other one is around celebrating successes. Again, it's not specific to privacy or security, but it's really an important one. And I've heard some talks from others about, about this too, when they go forward in their career more and more, and they look back and they realize how much they've done collaboratively with their teams. There are always moments that you could have stopped more and really enjoyed and celebrated because they were worth it. You did things that were incredible, um, innovative, never been done before. You take the time to enjoy them, take the time to write about them, speak about them. Even if you're moving fast as an organization, those are really important. Like my only regret is sometimes I didn't help my team and myself celebrate wins as much as I could. That stays with you. You remember that more than you remember the things you've actually done. Um, and uh, <laughs> in terms of a third one, I think just, you know, I, I'm very passionate about privacy and security. These fields you can get into in many, many different ways. I've had my own path. There are many others. Don't ever let someone tell you your background is not sufficient or is not the right one because these fields are multidisciplinary. You learn a lot from collaboration with, uh, with folks who have different backgrounds than you. Solutions are multi-leveled and can benefit from that view, that wider angle view. And so never like, you know, never be discouraged. These fields are scary, they're large, they're complex, they move a lot. Find your niche, explore it, learn and grow. Basically stay hungry, what, you know, what Steve Jobs used to say. Okay, got it. That's amazing. So I love that when I asked you about your three top tips, the first one you started off with was mental health. And I don't think enough leaders focus on the mental health and the mental well-being of the team and of themselves to understand that, you know, burnout is a real big problem. And you can really work somebody so much to the point where they become inefficient, they become grumpy, and something that should have taken X amount of time is now taking X times three amount of longer because they haven't had that space, they haven't had that opportunity to be human, to relax, to enjoy the other aspects of life, and to have that openness, to have that creative thinking. And I, I really value mental health and mental well-being and that work-life balance because you're right. When you are not so stressed out, when you are not just completely on one track all of the time, that's when the creative juices start flowing and you can find really innovative ways of doing things. And then you said uh, celebrate success. And I think that is super important. And I think celebrating success is also part of gratitude, being grateful that you've achieved what you've achieved and you have the team or the people around you to achieve that with. And it's important to take time to ground yourself just to see how far you've come. And sometimes in privacy and security, things are changing like this, new rules are coming, <laughs> this is done. There's always like 5,000 things that need to be done. But recognize that, yes, there is all of that. Be patient, get to it, but just appreciate and take stock of just how far you've come and the people that have 
come along the journey with you or the people that have led you to that journey. And uh, I think that will really bring those teams together and allow you to collaborate even more with the other functions to really be able to say, yes, we're making a difference and we're doing some great stuff and let's go and do even better. And the final thing you said is um, about enjoying it and about making sure you have that passion and that hunger for success and not taking no for an answer. And I can tell you as somebody who came into this industry without any uh, postgraduate legal certifications, without technical experience, that if you work hard enough or if you make the right efforts, you find the right mentor and you take the right programs, then there is absolutely nothing stopping you from achieving everything you want to achieve. But having a mentor, someone who's done, someone who can guide you is really the key to achieving all of the goals that you set for yourself. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Mentor is also incredibly important. I'll tell you this small anecdote. When I wanted to start Terra True, um, I reached out to the head of security and privacy at Google, Eric Gross. And I said, look, Eric, I am thinking of doing this. I'm passionate about privacy and security. I want to bring solutions that are win-win for developers and privacy lawyers, privacy reviewers. And I just bounced that idea off of him. And he said, Jad, you know, why are you even talking about it? Just go do it and see where it goes. It, it, it didn't take much of his time, but to have that support, to know that there is someone who's just looking out for you, but also giving you blunt advice, I think is, is just uh, extremely powerful. And just to know you're not alone. So I hope you're right. People should have mentors that guide them along the way. We all need them. They're always valuable. And one of the things we did with Taratru was really based on how much hard work Chris, my co-founder, and myself and others did at Snap. It was a very fastly growing environment. We were working around the clock. I don't know if Chris told you this joke, but his first day at Snap was 24 hours long, literally. <laughs> he stayed at work on his first day for 24 hours. We were launching something big. And he was like, oh my God, this is my first day. Um, that's why when we started Terra 2, we both of us said, look, we're in this for the long run. This is not a sprint. We're yeah. going to be smart about it. We're going to ruthlessly prioritize. We're going to work in a way that is effective, creative, smart, not try to burn the midnight oil to achieve a short-term gain. And I think that set the tone for the whole company. I love that. I'm going to adopt that. I'm going to adopt that ruthless <laughs> priority. That's it. I'm writing that down. Thank you. Jad, um, to end, we like to ask our guests to ask Jamal a question. So anything that springs to mind, feel free. Um, Look, with pleasure. I think, Jamal, you brought up this um, the iPhone advertisement from Apple. I mean, I'm in, I'm in San Francisco. I see these billboards all the time. It's about privacy. And I give them so much credit. Because truly, this is not just a, a tagline. They've really done a lot of work on privacy. My question to you is this. How long do you think that's going to be the message? Is it another year? Is it a short-term fad from now, which I don't think is the case? Or is it 10 years later, we're going to still see privacy on the billboards for the iPhones? Well, I can't predict the future, but what I can predict is the direction that the data privacy industry is moving in and the direction of public. 
And I'll give you an I'll give you an anecdote actually. So last I think it was last year. I forgot what year we are in now. But um, <laughs> towards the beginning of the one year, the last year, the year before, WhatsApp announced that they're going to be updating their privacy notices, and they now want to combine the metadata with the stuff that you do on Facebook. And people went ballistic. People that don't even know what privacy means, people that don't even know what privacy is all about, people who have never cared about privacy, they were up in arms about this new update and what they thought that meant for their privacy. And I had my mom's um, friends asking to speak to me to understand, should they delete their WhatsApp because they use it to communicate with their relatives and other people in other countries and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like people actually care about their privacy and people are actually caring more and more about it. And we see lots of studies coming out that say, you know, people will actually buy a laptop for the same price or a higher price um, if they believe that their privacy and the security is going to be protected better than another company offering the same product at a lower price, but they don't trust them with their personal information. And that kind of just makes it ring true for me of just how important this is. And if you look, Privacy was something that people used to do as 20% of their job uh, in addition to compliance or security or whatever it is that we're doing. But now you have full-time roles in privacy, not just full-time roles, you have teams. And you've just said yourself, Chad, how you had, a when you first entered Google and Snap, there were just one or two people in the team and you've grown that to literally thousands. And we can see that with the advances in technology, with the advances in artificial intelligence, with all of this stuff about facial recognition and things getting more and more um, invasive in the way they can do things, but also solve problems. Privacy concerns are becoming more and more of a concern for people who have never even thought about privacy before. And a few years ago, we used to hear people say, well, I don't really care too much because I've got nothing to hide. We don't hear that argument anymore. People are more like, yes, what is it that you can do? Should you be doing it? And do I want to expose myself to that? And people are starting to ask questions. And what I talk about to my mentees is this privacy paradigm that we're shifting into and moving away from wherever we are now, where everything is privacy-centric moving forward. So that's where I see things moving. And it's not just me. It's also governments as well. I mean, we see governments all over the world introducing privacy legislation because they've now seen that the citizens in their country are speaking up and value their privacy. And they look to Europe and they look to other parts of the world where they see how those individuals have been given privacy or full privacy as a basic human right. And they're like, we want that too. And that's why you see governments all over the world introducing privacy legislation to say, yes, we also respect and value your privacy because it is going to be a big deal. And for those forward thinking companies who are getting onto that, and who are actually going beyond ticking the box to be compliant and using it to inspire trust, cultivate that confidence, and then move on to have a bigger impact, they will actually be the ones that um, really benefit and profit uh, and maximize the rewards from taking that privacy-first approach. No, thank, thank you for that. That's, I mean, the privacy space has grown so much, and as you said, it's based on need. It's not just fiction. People care about it more. There are more ways in which it can fail, and having that apparatus from legal to, to technical defenses to make sure that things continue as smoothly in a way that isn't the most privacy preserving is absolutely key. I, I love the space and it's, I'm, I have no doubt too that it will continue to grow. 
Thank you. Chad, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I could speak to you for days on end, but both of us have to go and look after people and make things happen. Thank you so much for giving us the time today. And I look forward to bringing you back to one of our sessions at the Privacy Pros Academy, where you can uh, speak to some of our mentees. Oh, thank you so much. I had a great conversation and very, very thankful to you and to Jamila for having me on your podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class privacy pro. Please leave us a four or five star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.